Hi there and welcome to the second chapter of the Podstorm of Your Inner Game, 12 Principles of High Impact Entrepreneurs. If you've landed here, guys, please go back to the first episode. This is a sequence of chapters as part of my number one best-selling book, Your Inner Game. We're releasing it here as part of a Podstorm, making a difference to everybody in 2021. Uh, this is going to be an incredible journey, guys, so please don't miss out on any of the previous chapters. If you've been following along, Thank you for following along. Thank you for investing your time in this incredible story that I'm so grateful and privileged to bring to you today. And don't forget, guys, if you are resonating with some of the stuff, please do email me at hello at mattbrownshow.com or tweet me at mattbrownza. Why not give this episode a tweet, a share with a friend to someone you know will benefit from it. So without further ado, guys, thank you for your support. Let's get on with the second chapter of Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs. Chapter 2, The Question of Why, Growth versus Scale. When you're surrounded by people who share a passionate commitment around a common purpose, anything is possible. Howard Schultz. Principle, I will find my purpose. Joey's story isn't about an entrepreneurial dream, but his resilience is incredibly powerful and my own journey has taught me how much resilience we need as entrepreneurs. Your why, your dreams, goals, and the difference you want to make are what really matter if you want to achieve anything of noteworthy importance. Often, when I ask young and aspiring entrepreneurs what they want out of life, they say, success. And I get that. Every entrepreneur deserves to be successful and to build a business that can support the life of their dreams. But that can't be the full story because yes, you need to know what success looks like for you. But above all else, you need to know why you're aiming for that particular success. Why do you want to grow that? We all want to grow our businesses, but very few of us can answer the question, why? And to what end? Also, there is a big distinction between growth businesses and businesses that are scaling. They are very different animals. And if you can't differentiate between them, ultimate success and happiness are unlikely. A growth business is any business that generates positive cash flows or earnings at the same or at a slightly faster rate than the overall economy. Typically, this is a business that operates with a handful of people in a single market and is based in one location. On the other hand, a business that is scaling up or at scale is any business that generates significant positive cash flows or earnings at a much faster rate than the overall economy. Typically, these are businesses that operate with many people in more than one market and in multiple geographic regions. It's easy to think that a bigger business will make you happier, but that isn't always the case. There is nothing wrong with owning a profitable growth business. If it meets your lifestyle needs and fulfills you, then why not? But whatever you do, don't chase the dream of owning a business at scale, a scale business, if that isn't what you actually want. The truth, your specific truth, as it relates to your why and your business really matters. Too many entrepreneurs are chasing the idea that bigger is better, and instead of finding happiness, they just end up miserable. They've lost their why, or they didn't know it in the first place. Building a big fuck-off business is one thing, but doing that and holding on to your happiness and some semblance of balance at the same time is an entirely different challenge, and one you'll only conquer if what you're trying to achieve aligns with your truth. Here's the thing. Too many entrepreneurs are chasing the kind of growth that will lead them to one day owning a business at scale. But they haven't paused to question if this is something that will make them happy. The CEO of a growth business and a CEO of a business at scale are very different. Many entrepreneurs want to scale, but they don't consider how it will fundamentally change their businesses and how the process of scaling 
will ask fundamentally different and bigger questions of the entrepreneur. Scaling may not be for you. You may not have the right character or possess the necessary skills to run a really big business. There are two types of CEOs. The first is the market maker CEO. They are excellent at identifying a new category opportunity, building a great first product and creating the market for the thing that the business sells. The second is the accumulation CEO. They maximize profits for the business and its shareholders and are able to manage the business at scale. It's rare to find a CEO who can do both, which means at some point the leadership of a scale-up business needs to change. Take Travis Kalanick, for example. Kalanick got Uber off the ground. As the business began to scale beyond all reasonable expectations, he was forced to resign as CEO of Uber amid reports of combative behavior and an intellectual property lawsuit with self-driving rival Waymo. The company also faced allegations of a toxic work culture that led to widespread sexual harassment and gender discrimination. Uber at scale was a different kind of beast to the business that was founded as UberCab, an exciting new startup in 2009. Unfortunately, most business owners think, I have to scale, because of a media-driven and largely Silicon Valley narrative. A quick read of the front covers of business magazines will reveal titles like From Zero to $100 Million in Two Years. More on this later. And so what inevitably happens is a weird peer-driven dynamic that prescribes that if an entrepreneur is going to be a success, then they have to build a business at scale. Before you know it, what is motivating your growth as the founder is your ego instead of what you really want. And you don't even realize it. I know. I was a victim of this mentality for many years. I'm going to circle back to Joey at this point. It was abundantly clear during our interview that he's always been clear on his why. I'm envious of his clarity. I haven't always known my own why, and it's led to decisions that haven't been best for me or my business. The point is that you shouldn't be trying to grow your business unless you understand why. If you're just growing for the sake of growth, your passion and hunger for it will most likely fade, as it did with me more than once. And then where will you be? Consider the difference between these two entrepreneurs. If you're super passionate about what it would take to build tens of thousands of restaurants that deliver top quality food through a well-engineered supply chain, then growth drives you. Again, we will meet an entrepreneur who is doing exactly this in chapter nine. If on the other hand, you take pride in having the best restaurant in your city, then focus on that and forget about growth. Growth will not make you happy. Scale should mean different things to different people. And above all else, it should serve to make you happy. Because what if you spend 20 years chasing scale and then, for whatever reason, it all falls anyway? What will you be left with? Worse, what if you achieve it and realize it wasn't what you wanted in the first place? What have you sacrificed to reach that point? Remember, nothing worth having is easy, so you better know what it is that you're chasing. What was your life about if you gave up spending time with your family, gave up your happiness and your smile for the sake of growth? Your why is everything because it will help you to identify what motivates you, not only as an entrepreneur, but as a human being. In my experience, most entrepreneurs are so busy chasing success that they don't stop to think about what motivates them. Joey was always crystal clear on this why. What motivated him to be successful was very simply to stick it to his physical ailments. He had what my good friend Brent Spilkin, a high performance business coach, calls fuck you motivation which after making a difference to humanity is the most powerful motivator that anyone can have. How to get to grips with what you want. Getting to grips with what you want is not an easy thing to do. It's a paradox because if you give yourself what you think you want, it's unlikely you'll give yourself what you need. 
The first step is to understand what the word scale means to you, because despite dictionary and Wikipedia definitions, for every entrepreneur, scale means something different. To get to the truth, you need to give your definition of scale context. The first point to land is that there is a very Americanized view of scale, specifically within the venture capitalist and private equity space. Most notably, this is the narrative that comes out of Silicon Valley, Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, Netflix. These are all great examples of how we tend traditionally to view scale. The media has a lot to do with playing up scale, especially in Silicon Valley dominated world of tech. Media outlets publish a seemingly endless series of headlines like Postmates raises another $300 million, reportedly valued at $1.2 billion. Ola raises $50 million at a $4.3 billion valuation from two Chinese funds or Limebike raises $70 million as the bike-sharing battle rages on. While none of these stories are untrue, they do paint a picture of scale and more broadly of entrepreneurship that isn't entirely accurate. If startup-focused media was taken at face value, then any entrepreneur could start a business and six months later would sell that business for $100 million, move to the south of France to their multi-million dollar superyacht, and live like a rock star doing Bolivian cocaine with a bunch of Russian supermodels and all with other first-time founders who have made it during the preceding six months. Perception and reality are very different things. Many entrepreneurs who chase dreams and headlines of their own inevitably trip over reality and hit their head on the truth. That's okay. Failure is integral to the journey. Reality checks even more so. But if you want to be happy, build something meaningful and align your business with your values. It's important to realize that for every one of those zero-to-hero headlines, There are hundreds of thousands of crushed entrepreneurial dreams littering sidewalks and coffee shops. Hundreds of thousands of stories that will never be covered in mainstream media because it's not cool to be the entrepreneur who couldn't scale and who loses their shirt in a failed startup. This was one of the main reasons why I started my podcast. I'd experienced failed businesses more times than I cared to remember and I wanted to paint the realities of entrepreneurship on the ground. Not the glamour, but the cold, hard truth. I wanted to address the perceptions about scale that were being created by popularized media. I love entrepreneurship. There's a reason I built so many businesses and why my podcast and businesses today are both focused on entrepreneurs. I can't imagine not being in the space, but like all things worth having, it's tough and I've needed to come to terms with many truths to reach this point. I've needed to find my purpose and my why. I've needed to evaluate what success looks like for me and where my balance between my family and my business lies. Most of all, I've needed to come to terms with what scale means to me. Through my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, billionaires on four different continents, venture capitalists, international best-selling authors, and CEOs of some of the most exciting companies in the world. And the most fascinating thing I've taken away from these discussions is that while they are all view scale differently, they also do one thing consistently. They assign value to what the word scale means in their own lives and businesses. Think about it. If scaling a business doesn't hold any meaning for you, then it's unlikely that you will build a business at scale. You will always choose to pursue what you value, even if you don't realize it. But, and this is the crux of everything I've learned on this topic, if you do choose to pursue scale, then it's important that you don't fall into the trap of saying you want to build a business to scale without really thinking about what that would mean for you personally and for your business. 
When any entrepreneur is thinking about scale, it's important to understand that context matters. You see, for some people, scale means growing from one shop to two shops, and that's fine. For another entrepreneur, it might mean growing from one store to 1,000 stores, and that's also fine. But before you can even start thinking or talking about scale, you need to understand what your relationship is with that number and that size. Because if you're going to try and produce a business that's a thousand times bigger than the one you currently have, when you're only comfortable with five times bigger, you're going to end up in a world of pain. Enter Bob. Let's say that Bob is the founder of a tech startup called Pyrotech based in Silicon Valley. Bob founded Pyrotech because his why was to build a software business that afforded him the time and the means to climb the seven summits of the world. Bob has bootstrapped the business and spent six months building a team and a minimum viable product, MVP, which his users love. The culture of the business is one of a very happy startup filled with anticipation of what lies in store for them and their shiny new tech product. But competition is heating up and Bob decides that Pyrotech needs to be the number one software product in the market. So now is the time to start scaling as his biggest competitor, DopeTech, has just raised $15 million in seed funding. Bob feels he has no choice but to hit up the VC network to remain competitive. After being turned down for investment 14 times straight, this is not unusual, he finally lands a deal for a $10 million seed round investment with Capricorn Inc., an exciting venture capital network that specializes in accelerating high-growth startups like Pyrotech. There are three general versions of what happens next. I'll begin with the most common scenario. The investors at Capricorn are hungry for growth. They want their pound of flesh and are looking for a 20 times return on their investment over the next two years. It's game time for Pyrotech. At the insistence of Capricorn, Bob has to make some structural changes within the company to enable the expected growth and investment returns. A new executive team is established comprising of a hotshot sales director, chief marketing officer, CMO, Chief Operations Officer, COO, Chief Data Officer, CDO, and Talent Manager. Scalable operational systems are installed along with a new set of business processes and a way of working that supports the desired scale. Naturally, Bob's original team don't like these changes and they complain to Bob about the direction in which Pyrotech is heading. Bob tells them not to worry and that things will improve. Meanwhile, Capricorn requests bi-weekly meetings with Bob and the rest of the executive team to review Pyrotech's sales performance and financial projections. Cash burn and an exponential growth strategy becomes a primary focus for the business and Capricorn decides that it's time for the business to go after a bigger but more competitive market to help achieve their desired growth. Bob starts to realize that his vision for Pyrotech is shifting to that of his investors and the new executive team. And as a result, the culture of Pyrotech is also slowly but surely changing. A few members of his original founding team leave despite Bob's objections and attempts to get them to stay. Six months later, sales begin to slow due to stiffer competition present in the new market and Capricorn puts Bob under more and more pressure to hit sales targets. Despite his best efforts, Pyrotech sales remain stagnant and unfortunately for Bob, Capricorn decides that he is no longer the right CEO to be leading the company. Bob is told that he's a great founder but he's not the right CEO to lead and enable their high growth strategy. Bob is ousted as CEO of Pyrotech and asked to be a non-executive chairman. While a new CEO is installed, Bob is left dejected about the entire experience and regrets not bootstrapping the business for another year or two. 
Had he done that, he would have been able to remain in control of Pyrotech. In the second version of the story, Bob remains CEO and the business does well. It achieves the scale Capricorn was looking for and sales are great, rising steadily year on year. However, most of the founding team is left. The business does not resemble the startup Bob created in the first place and its culture is unrecognizable. Bob has also not climbed a single summit since he launched the business, which was one of his original goals. This kind of story, version 1 and 2, is not uncommon in the world of high-growth tech startups, with the average founder not understanding the consequences of scaling with venture capital. If only Bob had remembered why he started Pyrotech in the first place, to afford himself the financial means and the time required to climb the seven summits of the world. He didn't need to be the number one software product in the market. He just needed to be the favorite software product for a certain amount of loyal users. He needed a lifestyle business, not a scale business. To do that, Pyrotech could have been the number two or number three software product in the market. Unfortunately for Bob, the Silicon Valley narrative was the only winner at the end of the day. I haven't forgotten the third version of the story. The version where once Bob launches his business, he realizes that his main driving force is to become the number one software product in the world. He chases venture capital to achieve this goal and is willing to give up any and all other dreams for this new vision. He wants to be a scale business and will do everything necessary to achieve it. If this is your goal, then chase it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But before you buy into the scale narrative just for the sake of it, understand that scale isn't for everyone. I know many successful and more importantly happy entrepreneurs who don't own a scale business. Bloggers, freelancers, restaurant owners, salon owners, boutique consulting firms, creative agencies, the list goes on. Many of these entrepreneurs do not want to scale simply because their business suits their lifestyle needs and personal ambitions. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. At the end of the day, there are many different versions of scale, and they're all personal. When it comes to your personal code as an entrepreneur, your why is arguably the most important principle. So let's try and get clear on that right now. To scale or not to scale? Questions govern our lives more than we care to admit. Indira Gandhi said it best. The power to question is the basis of all human progress. There can be no better example to illustrate the direct relationship between questions and human progress than during the space race between Russia and the United States. In 1962, John F. Kennedy gave his famous We Choose to Go to the Moon speech, and just 2,503 days later, Neil Armstrong and pilot Buzz Aldrin stepped onto the moon. It was indeed a small step for man, but a giant leap for mankind. 
The entire world celebrated the moon landing. We marveled at a new dawn of human achievement and the possibilities that lay before us. Yet, despite all the innovation that had occurred as a result of the space race, there was plenty more waiting in the wings. One of these innovations was wheeled luggage. That's right, we put a man on the moon 13 years before we put wheels on luggage. Why? Because the best minds in the world were focused on putting a man on the moon, not making normal travel a bit easier. The same principle is true for you, because as an entrepreneur on any given day, you can create any number of possible futures for your business and for yourself. And so the question becomes, how do you create the future you truly desire? Well, the simple way is to ask better questions, because if you don't ask the right questions, you'll never get the right answers. You will always be acting on less than okay information. And with less than okay information, you will inevitably make less than okay decisions. And ultimately, decisions are your ultimate power. Whether you choose to scale or not, your decisions today will always predict the outcomes of tomorrow. What kind of questions should you be asking? Start by asking yourself, what do I want? Do you want to make the human race a multi-planetary species and colonize Mars like Elon Musk? Do you want to prove to your dad that you can build a bigger business than he ever could? Do you want to build a bigger business than your ex-wife's new partner? Do you want to live a simple life in relative isolation made possible by an online information product business that makes $50,000 a month? Next, ask yourself why. For example, if you want to build a billion dollar business, then ask yourself why. It may be because you want people to admire your achievements, or maybe your risk radar is broken and you'll do anything just to see if you can pull it off. At its essence, it's about understanding what motivates you as a human being. The world's leading expert on the human psyche, Tony Robbins, suggests that there are six needs that drive us as humans. These are broken down by the four needs of the personality and the two needs of the soul. The needs of the personality. Certainty. The desire to know what is going to happen. Uncertainty. The desire and appetite for risk. Love. The desire to connect with people. Significance the desire to be seen and admired by others, the needs of the soul, growth, the desire to grow and improve, contribution, the desire to give back. Most of us are motivated by one or two of these needs more than the others. If you were to select two of these six, what would they be? How can you see these needs being expressed in your behaviors and, importantly, in the things that you want for yourself and for your business? The thing about your motivations and the goals you set for yourself is that they will change over time. When I was in my 20s, when someone asked me what I wanted out of life, my need for significance would kick in and I would say, I want to be the owner of a billion dollar business. But when I'm asked that question today, the answer is all about contribution. Most entrepreneurs go through the same transformation. My good friend Rich Mulholland, who is one of South Africa's, if not the world's best speakers, says it best. When I was 20, I wanted to be a billionaire. When I was 30, I realized that I probably never would be one. And at the age of 40, I stopped giving a fuck. He's busy building a great new startup that he plans to scale around the world. But his why has changed. What I have observed about the motivations of the entrepreneurs who have built businesses to scale is that they are very rarely, if ever, motivated by material things. Since the very first interview I conducted on my podcast, my last question to every guest has been this. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You may be surprised to learn 
that I've never received an answer that had anything to do with wanting to be successful or about chasing a number in a bank account. In fact, the large majority are motivated by spiritual needs, a deep desire for personal growth and a need to contribute to humanity and the world around them. In all cases, there is a great deal of meaning attached to their actions. Joey Evans overcame the almost impossible challenge of his paralysis and finished the Dakar rally as a result. True inner game has at its core unequivocal meaning. This feeds into purpose, motivation, and perseverance. Back to growth versus scale businesses. The biggest difference I've encountered between an entrepreneur who chooses to build a growth business versus one who chooses to pursue a scale business comes down to one thing, hunger. Scalepreneurs or entrepreneurs who do build a business to scale remain hungry despite their successes. It's never about the money. Instead, their motivations are firmly placed in the areas of uncertainty, growth, and contribution. And they have an insatiable fascination and curiosity to see how big something can become. Their love for the game of business is tireless, and they rarely, if ever, regard themselves as successful. If this sounds like you, then you are probably chasing a scale business. And I would also bet that you are not listening to these words by chance. A question of purpose. The idea of purpose was gifted to me by my father when I was 10 years old. It was 6am one Sunday morning in the sleepy suburb of Tableview in Cape Town. I was awake, but my parents were still sleeping. I had a friend, Mark, who lived a few blocks down the road. So I headed out on my bicycle to wake him up for some playtime before Sunday school. A short while later, I was knocking on Mark's front door. He opened up and all was well, until we got bored. In 1989, Tableview was a small suburb surrounded by wild bush, but it was expanding rapidly and there was a lot of property and housing developments going up. Just across from Mark's house was a series of houses that had recently been plastered with fresh cement. Bored stiff, we thought it would be a great idea to run our fingers through the walls of the wet cement of these new houses, and so we did. Any wet wall we could find became a target. In all the fun, I forgot about the one thing I was forbidden to miss. Sunday school. The next thing I know, I heard my dad's voice behind me. Matthew, what the fuck are you doing? You naughty little shit. Get your ass home immediately. We'll have to talk about this when we get back as your mother and I are late for church. Now by talk, what he actually meant was that I was going to get a beat down. In a panic and convinced my life was about to end, I raced back home. As soon as I arrived, I started frantically cleaning the house making beds, tidying up the kitchen, things I would ordinarily never do. But hey, when you're convinced you're going to take the beatdown of all beatdowns, you do whatever you must do to dodge the consequences. After what felt like several days, my parents arrived home, and of course, my old man sends me to my room for our talk. Sitting on the end of my bed, I felt the adrenaline pumping through my veins. In walks my dad. I prepared inwardly for my impending death, but instead... He sat down next to me and out came the following words. You know, Matt, I need to speak to you about something. At the end of your life, God is going to ask you what the purpose of your life was, and you'd better have a good answer. Also, I don't want you seeing that Mark kid anymore. He's a bad influence on you. There was no beatdown. Talk about a get-out-of-jail-free card. I said, sure, Dad, absolutely. I'll find my purpose one day for sure. Counting my lucky stars, I'm not sure... I meant it in that moment, but the idea of finding my purpose had been seeded and has caused me sleepless nights ever since. 
During my early entrepreneurial endeavors, I didn't have a real purpose. I just wanted to make something of myself. Whenever I tried to ask myself questions like, what is the purpose of my life? I just end up freaking out. No clear ideas magically presented themselves. And so for years, I meandered along wondering when I would suddenly find my purpose and finally become the hero in my own story. You know, that guy who is an absolute savage in business and unstoppable in the face of any and all adversity, all thanks to having a clear purpose? That's who I wanted to be. It took me many years to work out that when it comes to purpose, you'll never just find it. It's not a set of car keys. You need to create it, and that takes focus and time. I found two approaches that work well when it comes to creating purpose. The first is to decide on a problem the world has and then go out there and solve it. A great example of this is Elon Musk and SpaceX. Elon's overriding belief is that the human race will have a serious problem on its hands should an extinction-level event occur on Earth. He, therefore, created SpaceX, a privatized space exploration company that is attempting to make the human race a multi-planetary species. The second approach, and one of the most compelling ways I have found to explore the question of purpose deeply and authentically, is to talk about your own death. So let's talk about death. Okay, Matt, I know you as a brutally honest entrepreneur. You're honest on your podcast. You're honest in your book. You're not afraid to talk about the, the hardships you face, the mistakes you've made, and, and the great wins you've had. Tell me a little bit about being the victim of your own ego. Have you ever made a decision driven purely by ego and later had to step back and go, damn it, I could have done that differently? Or has everything been rock star and perfect? Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think probably when I was earlier, um, when I started, I write about this in the book, um, Animus Potential was a company I started after I sold my first business, which was a record label. And as a 26-year-old, I thought that I could teach people about life. And so I hadn't failed at that point. And luckily, the universe was going to kind of fix that for me. Um, and so the thing about um, that situation that I wasn't aware of at the time, which was, even though it was kind of based in service, it was very much an, an ego type thing uh, that was dri driving me to failure. Uh, and that was very simply this, that nobody wants to take advice from a 26-year-old about life. Um, and so... That was my probably biggest example of where I wasn't quite fully aware of why my or what my motivations were at the time, um, and so that was a tough lesson for me. You know, I lost um, I lost a lot of money, I lost a lot of self belief, and and that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately, these are necessary experiences. You know, I, I call them moments. We don't have many moments in life, so you know, the day that you're born, the day that you die, and then everything in between, the day that you graduate school or from school, the day you get your first driver's license, the day you have your first child, or the day that you get married, the day you get divorced, etc. So, the, you know, in between a, a 80, 100-year lifespan, there aren't that many moments. So we remember these moments. We, we gravitate towards the negative experiences for some reason, and it's ingrained in us you know, from fight or flight as an example, we just naturally gravitate towards the negative. So we remember these things. Um, and so these uh, negative experiences, you have to frame them in a way that serves you because oftentimes these negative experiences will automatically be framed in your mind as a negative thing. And so what, uh, what produces from that is things like, I'm not good enough, I'm a failure. You know, and so you have to recognize these patterns and then be able to make new choices. So the way that you do that is by reframing those experiences. And it took me a long time 
to reframe these kinds of negative experiences. But ego um, and egonomics is actually something that I write about in the book where you essentially have the need for short-term gratification and offset that with long-term meaning and fulfillment. And so we're always at odds with ourselves. And again, it comes down to this idea of recognizing when you are oscillating from one side of the spectrum. So ego, um, you know, uh, short-term sort of benefits versus long-term meaning and fulfillment. And so these are the things that really do uh, matter at the end of the day for us as human beings. You cover scale extensively in chapter two. When you wrote the book, you had just won Africa's best tech startup, and now you're scaling up yourself. Your vivid vision is to build a $100 million business, but you really focus on the point that scale isn't for everyone in the book, and that's okay. Talk to me about your mindset, why you are choosing to scale, and what you've needed to consider to get to this point in terms of having the right mindset and understanding everything that scale is going to entail. Well, you have to know why you want that particular type of scale. So you get lifestyle businesses, you know, guys who own franchise stores, restaurants, things like that, or maybe they're just consultants, right? You sell time. So you're never going to build a monster business, right? So uh, the other side of the coin is, well, you want to build a scale business. These are, you know, usually technology centric businesses with some kind of platform technology or interface that lends itself to scale. Um, and so irrespective of which side of the coin you fall, you have to ask yourself, well, where, what kind of entrepreneur are you? Do you want the lifestyle business without the pressure of running, you know, a thousand person business or a hundred million dollar business? And you're fine with a million dollars a year because that's cool, right? But you need to be aware that that is who you are. Um, and I think in many cases, we don't think about what kind of entrepreneur am I? You know, are you a one hit wonder or are you the type of guy who's going to found a dozen companies like that's who I am, right? So you have to be very aware of why you want certain kinds of growth. In my case, I want to build a big business, one, because I'm curious about how to do it. Two, I believe that I can do it. I've already done it in my mind. And three, I know that when I sell it, it's going to set up an economic future for myself that I can then found new companies to make new uh, products and services that also lend themselves to scale and solve more problems that I find more valuable for me. So these could be things like related to education, for instance, or it could be renewable energy, or it could be clean water or anything around sustainability. So those are the things that resonate with me the more that I mature as a human being and as an entrepreneur. Whereas now it's all around, you know, growth, technology, data, you know, lead generation, pipeline, gen, all this kind of cool stuff. And there is a platform technology component to that. But when I frame that into, you know, Matt Brown as a 41-year-old, and then I ask myself, well, who am I going to be when I'm 50? Those are very different motivations. So the other thing to say is that I had Bo Burlingham on the show not too long ago. He's been writing about entrepreneurship since 1984. He's the editor of Inc. Magazine. And his book, he interviewed 300 entrepreneurs who had sold their businesses. And an overwhelming majority, 95% of them are depressed or were depressed. And the reason for that is because they don't think about what happens after they sell. So I'm clear around what I will do after I sell. But again, this goes back to your question, which is who are you, right? And why are you doing the things that you are doing? Why do you want to build a $100 million business? Why do you want a million dollar business a year, right? And so when you are clear about these things, then your motivations become clear. And so there's a relationship that you have with yourself 
that you have to culture and develop and nurture over time. Because one thing I know for sure is that your motivations always change. There, in other words, like, as I said, you know, you have kids, for example, you change countries, you move people, your life circumstances change all the time. And as they change, your motivations will change with those things. So you have to always be constantly in a congruent and authentic conversation with yourself about what lights you up. And as long as you are doing that, then you will always make the right decisions around what kind of scale you want for yourself. You've absolutely touched on this, but just to really drive the point home, talk to me a little bit about contribution and how this links to contribution, because contribution is very much your focus and the the business is the vehicle to get there. So how can other entrepreneurs or listeners think about contribution in their own lives? Well, do you want to leave the world in a better place or not? You know, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I write about, uh, in the book, I write about an, an interview I had with Robin Wheeler, and he wrote this awesome book called Death is the Ultimate Orgasm. And in the book, we write about, and we discussed in his interview, uh, the power of thinking about your death, right? So when you are on your deathbed, what do you want people to say about you? And if you imagine the kinds of words and phrases you would like people to say, what are those things? Um, and the second aspect to that is, you know, who do you want to become at the end of the day? Like, how do you want to grow? In what way do you want to contribute? Because, you know, you like me and everybody else listening to us right now, there's one thing that's certain is that you are going to die, right? You will die. Um, and so we don't want to talk about death, right? Because it's much, it's not exactly the kind of dinner table conversation you want to have at a Saturday night function, right? So, but there's a lot of power in thinking about it because it starts to, you start to automatically gravitate towards the things that, that motivate you today. Um, and that's what it's all about, right? It's who do you want to serve? Who do you want to help? What way do you want to contribute? And who do you want to become at the end of the day? Because, you know, we don't have like um, an infinite amount of years on this planet. So when we are here, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Uh, and that is a big question. Thanks, Matt. Let's lead from there into the big question you always ask everyone on your show. What gets you out of the bed in the morning? Just to make a difference, right? Um, and to grow, to learn and continually grow and to question everything around me. Um, and ultimately to build things that matter to people at scale. Thanks, Matt. Okay, so let's jump straight into chapter three, which is Robin Wheeler and talking about death and everything you've just touched on. <laughs> let's do it. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com.